listening to The Gathering Church Podcast, located in Asheville, North Carolina. The Gathering is a place where you can belong before you believe. To find out more, visit gatherashville.org. Today, we've got a, a very special uh, gift of a speaker with us today. I struggled with what to say after special first service. I did it again, second service. I should have thought more about it. But he is a gift and he's a gift to me. One of the things that we're very passionate about as a church is making sure that we're seeing people step into their purpose. You know, we don't want you uh, to just come and, and watch me and, and, and see that folks on stage and, and never really get involved, never be a part of it. We just believe church is meant to be more than that that it is about discovering our purpose and stepping into it. When you have a gift, we wanna see you living out that gift to make a difference for others. We got a guy in our church, uh, Dr. Martin Jones. Martin Jones has been a friend of mine for a while now. He started coming to our church almost three years ago with his wife, Fiona, and they have served on our uh, dream team as greeters this whole time. They're some of the best greeters you'll ever, you'll see their friendly faces every time you're walking in here on a Sunday morning. And Martin has been in my life group and I've had the ability to get to know him and uh, we, we hang out, we are friends. Whenever I'm having a bad day, we'll go get some lunch and we'll just kind of commiserate together. He always lifts me up and encourages me. And Martin has a gift of teaching and communication that has been lived out in many different ways over his life. And right now he's a college professor and so you're gonna learn something today. Hey, don't be expecting all the knowledge you're gonna get today. Don't be expecting this from me next week, okay? It's gonna be a great, Sunday. He's got a, an anointed word for you this morning. And so will you join me in welcoming Martin Jones to the stage? Thank you very much, John Mark. Okay, so we're going to take the bar that he's just raised and we're going to bring it down several different pegs, okay? And we're going to leave it right there at the bottom. Uh, but it really is good to be here this morning, and I'm glad that you guys are, and if you're joining us online, I appreciate that you're with us as well. I'm going to pray as we start, and then we'll dig into God's Word, so uh, join me in prayer. Father, I thank you so much uh, for today. I thank you for the gift that today is for all of us. Uh, we don't believe that there's a coincidence at work. We believe that this is a God incidence, and that you brought each one of us here for a very specific reason. So I ask, Father, that you would help us to lean in and to hear exactly what the Spirit wants us to hear this morning. For every person, and I'm mindful that uh, there are some here, Father, that they've brought in burdens and concerns, and their minds are racing with a lot of different things that they've got going on in their lives right now. And we pray that you would help each and every person here to, to be able to let those things go, to, to set them to one side, and to truly tune in to um, what it is that you want us to learn from your word this morning. So I commit this time and one another into your name because of Christ. Amen. All right, so you've probably now established that I am not from the Asheville area. Uh, I'm actually from a, a little bit further east from here. In fact, well, okay, it's quite a bit further east. It's about 5,000 miles to the east. But my wife and I, Fiona, we moved here about 14 years ago. We're originally from Manchester, England. And uh, it's, uh, in fact, we've just celebrated our 14th anniversary. That was just last week. Uh, we've got two children in college, Nathan and Olivia. And uh, this, we've really made this place home. 
Now, one of the things that I have found over the years as I talk to people and they, they realize that I'm from the UK, uh, people frequently ask, how different is England to living in the United States? Is it similar or does it feel you know, that, that there are different things going on? And, and my response is always the same. It's a lot different over here to what it is in the UK. You know, when we first moved over, I think I just had this idea that both countries would be the same, both cultures would be the same, and there wouldn't be any sort of barriers that we'd have to climb over, and boy, was I wrong. So first of all, here's just one difference. You guys all sound different to me, all right? You all have accents, and it's taken me ages to really adjust to that accent because you say things differently. You know, we use words that are spelled the same, but you say them differently to me. For example, so here's some things I say, right? Uh, banana, water, tomato, potato, oregano, aluminium, advertisement. I mean, I, I really could just go on and on. But what I've learned is not only do you say the same words differently, you use different words. So we've had to relearn some of our vocabulary. For example, I say chips, you say fries. I say crisps, you say chips. Do you know how confusing that is when you try to order something at a drive-thru? Or you know, I'll say biscuits, you say cookies. Well, I just need to like jump in the car and I'm there all over again. You know, I say bonnet, you say hood. I put things in the boot, you put things in the trunk. I put petrol in my car, you put gas in your car. We've got a number of families, young families with children here at the gathering, and um, I don't know if you realize, but in, the, in England, we use a lot of different words, so we put nappies on our kids, not diapers. If they're crying, we plug them with a dummy, not with a pacifier. Yeah, we push them in a wheelchair, not a, I guess, is that a buggy? I don't even know what word that you use for that. And it's holidays as well, national holidays. So over here, you know, you guys say 4th of July. In England, it's National Treason Day. I mean, we just use so many... Okay, now I'm joking. And I'm one of the only people, by the way, that can make that joke because I am now a dual citizen, okay? So I kind of have one foot on either side of the pond, so I'm allowed to make jokes like that. Um, but on a serious note, one of the things I also think about as I think about different cultures and different contexts is when I open up my Bible and I start reading through a story and I realize how different the culture or the context is of one of the stories I'm reading through. I'll read something in the life of Jesus and I'll encounter words that I don't really understand or you know, practices, cultural practices, and I kind of scratch my head and I say, well, you know, what's going on there? And obviously, it's something that took place some 2,000 years ago and in a different country, so there's, there's definitely cultural differences. But then I start thinking, well, how do we know that we're, we're doing this right? How do we know that we've got church right? You know, if Jesus were to come in today, would he say, oh yeah, at the gathering, you're doing things right. You know, if we're in such a different culture, such a different time and context, how do we know that we're ministering like Jesus? How do we know that we're doing the work that Jesus would actually want us to do? And that's what I want us to look at this morning. How do we know we're ministering like Jesus? And in order to answer that question, I'm going to read a story. It's a true story. It's something that happened fairly early on in the ministry of Jesus. It's going to be in the Gospel of John in chapter 4. So if you've brought a Bible or you use an electronic Bible, go ahead, open it, switch it on. But if not, don't worry because you'll see the words on the screen behind me so that you can track along. 
But as we look at this story of Jesus, in order to answer the question, are we ministering the way that Jesus would, we're really going to have three major movements. We're going to look at places. We're going to look at the kind of place that Jesus ministered. We're going to look at people. We'll examine the people that Jesus ministered to. And then finally, we'll look at his message, the kind of message that he shared. So places, people, and message. Hopefully to help us conclude, are we actually doing the work of Jesus? So the first observation that we're going to make as we're trying to answer this question, are we really ministering the way that Jesus ministered, is this. Number one, Jesus went to places nobody else would go to. Jesus went to places nobody else would go to. Our lead pastor, John Mark, has been taking us through this series, Anonymous. And as I think about this point, I think, you know, in Jesus' day, there were places that no one wanted to go near. They were the, the forgotten places, the unknown places, the anonymous places. But what I find is that Jesus didn't ignore those places. He went right into them. So let me show you this from, uh, from John chapter 4, and I'm just going to start reading at verse 1. John 4 Verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he, that would be Jesus, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Okay, so we start with some background information here. Jesus had been in an area known as Judea, and geographically in Israel, that's in the south. So the area of Judea in Israel is in the south, and in Jesus' time, it had Jerusalem in it. It had Bethlehem in it, you know, the town where Jesus was born, and that's where he had been. He was baptized by John the Baptist. That's the John that we, we heard about, and as Jesus began to teach, people began gravitating from John the Baptist over to Jesus. The crowds began forming around Jesus. People began listening. People began following him. And as that was happening, the religious leaders who were looking on, the Pharisees that we read about, they began getting very jealous. They didn't want anyone to challenge their authority. So they began to look on with envy. And Jesus, because he knew what was happening around him, he saw this, and rather than confront them there and then, because he's going to do that in about two and a half years into the future from this point, he decided, you know, the time's not now. And so he was going to retreat from that area in the south, and he was going to go back up north to his home region of Galilee. So Judea is in the south of Israel. Galilee is in the north. And you've got up there Nazareth, where he spent most of his childhood, and then a town called Capernaum, where he lived during his ministry. But right in the middle of Judea and Galilee, you've got an area in Israel that was called Samaria. Samaria. And so as the crow flies, it makes a lot of geographical sense. If Jesus was in the south in Judea, in order to go to the north, he would have to pass through Samaria. That's like, you know, about 80 miles in distance. That's uh, as the New Testament man walked. It's about four to five days. But here's the deal. No Jewish religious leader would have gone through Samaria. And let me tell you why. If we had the time this morning, we jump back into the Old Testament, and I talk a little bit about King David. King David's son was Solomon, the, the wisest king ever in Israel's history. 
But when Solomon died, the the nation of Israel, that was one nation, it split in half. And the, the, the northern area was called the northern kingdom of Israel, and the southern was called the southern kingdom of Judah. And these two nations, they were constantly at war. Kind of think of the 19th century here in the United States, the Civil War, where you had the Union in the north and the Confederacy in the south, and that's sort of what you had going on uh, after Solomon's time. Now, this northern kingdom of Israel never obeyed God. They had king after king after king after king, but they never again obeyed God after they split from the southern kingdom of Judah. And God graciously gave them opportunities to over and over again, but there came a time where he, he dealt with their sin and their rebellion. He, he judged them, and he used the Assyrian army to do that. So the Assyrians invaded this northern kingdom of Israel, and they took virtually everyone away into captivity, leaving this area almost empty. But then they realized they really had to repopulate that area. And so the Assyrians sent some of the Jews back, but they sent them back with Assyrians. And here's what happened. The Jews married Assyrians. They embraced all of the Assyrian culture, all of the Assyrian gods, and they really lost all trace of being uh, Jewish. They lost all their original identity. And so you fast forward into the times of Jesus, and the Jews that are in the south and those that remained in the north, they, they can't stand this central group that are now called Samaritans. They thought you abandoned everything that God stood for, so we won't have anything to do with you. So in Jesus' context, no self-respecting religious leader would journey through Samaria. This is what they would do, and, and this is crazy, so bear with me. But if a Jewish religious leader was in the south, in Judea, and wanted to go to the north, he would travel north until he hit the geographical boundary of Samaria. And then he'd head east. And he would cross over the Jordan River, and he would go north on the other side of the Jordan River, and then once he cleared Samaria, he would cross back over and continue on his journey, adding several days to the journey. I mean, how, how crazy is that by our context today? It would be like this. It would be like you're in Greenville, South Carolina, and you want to go to Johnson City, Tennessee, and you know that the, you know, as the crow flies or as the car drives, you've got to pass through Asheville. But you don't want to pass through Asheville. It's full of Ashevillans. You know, it's full of beards and beer and tattoos. And we can't go into Asheville. So this is what you do. You're, you're in Greenville and you go all the way out to Charlotte. And then you loop back and you come all the way back up to Johnson City, avoiding Asheville. Okay, that's what's happening right here. No self-respecting Jew would head into Samaria. But then did you catch just the final sentence of what I read out? Verse 4, he, Jesus, he had to pass through Samaria. He had to. Well, not because he was in a hurry. Jesus was very rarely in a hurry. And not because he's Jewish, because the Jewish religious leaders wouldn't go through there. Well, let me give you a little Greek 101 uh, test right here. That word had, that tiny little word had, in Greek, we can translate that to it is necessary. It's what we call a divine imperative, a command from God. And so we as the reader, we're reading this, and what we're being told is Jesus had to go into a place that nobody else would go to because God had a reason and a purpose right there. 
So how do we know if we are ministering like Jesus? We go to places nobody else goes to. Secondly, though, we go to people everybody else has rejected. We go to people everybody else has rejected. All right, let me keep reading. So John chapter 4, and I'm just going to pick up now from, uh, from verse 5. So here we go. So he, Jesus, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And then John, who's writing this, he kind of puts in parentheses where the disciples are, in case you're wondering, by the way, uh, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So Jesus is by himself. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And again, then John kind of puts in parentheses here, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So Jesus has gone into a place nobody else would go to, and now he encounters someone everybody else had rejected. No Jewish religious leader would have been caught doing anything with a Samaritan. And Jesus here was doing more than just starting a conversation, which in itself is that that's a big no-no. That's a huge faux pas of the time. You don't talk to Samaritans. And you know, did you hear John spells this out for you? Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. But he's doing more than just striking up a conversation. He's asking for help. He's asking for a drink. And in order to get a drink from this Samaritan, Jesus would have to touch a cup or some sort of implement or utensil that she had touched. He would have to put to his lips something that a Samaritan had brought. And, you know, we read that contextually and we go, well, yeah, there isn't really a problem with that, is there? So there's a major problem with that. And if we had a Pharisee sitting here on the front row today, he'd be out of his mind right now. It's like, whoa, a Jewish man was going to do what with an implement from a Samaritan? Let me try and bring this into our context. Imagine last summer during the height of covid and uh, you know, it's July, you're walking down Asheville, it's downtown, it's a hot day, you're sweaty, you're thirsty, and you see a complete stranger walking towards you, swigging a bottle of water. So this would be like you saying, hey, can I have a swig of your bottle of water right now, please? You just would not have done that last summer. I mean, probably not even this summer, right? So that's the kind of mindset that you need to have right here. Jesus was interacting with a Samaritan in a way no Jew would. But it's actually not just a Samaritan, it's a Sumerian woman. Now, again, contextually today, we don't really have a problem with this. We don't have a problem with men talking to women, but this would have been a big deal in the time of Jesus. Typically, Jewish men only spoke to women that were within their family circle. It would be unacceptable for a Jewish man to start a conversation with a woman that he didn't know. 
I mean, society, you just wouldn't do it. it. It's like trying to hug an English man, okay? You just should not do some things in life. We hug our wives, our kids, and our horses, and that's about it. I keep telling John Mark, I say, John Mark, my area of circle, my personal space is 10 times bigger than yours. Don't enter it unless you have a really important reason for doing that, yeah? We just don't do some things. And one of the things in Jesus' day, men just didn't strike up conversations, with women that they didn't know. And to prove the point, did you notice what the woman, the Samaritan woman, said to Jesus? Okay, so uh, I read from verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, said to Jesus, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, not just a Samaritan, a woman of Samaria? And in case you're not quite there yet, then let me jump ahead a little and tell you what his disciples said when they came back. So I'm going to jump ahead to verse 27 in the same chapter. Just then, his disciples came back. Remember, they've been in town buying food. Just then, his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So even his disciples knew that Jesus should not be speaking to a Samaritan woman. But there's something else we need to know about this woman. Not only was she a Samaritan, not only is she, she female, but she's an outcast. She is at the lowest point of society's ladder. She is the one that nobody wants anything to do with. She is the anonymous one to not only the Jews, but to the Samaritans. And you may be thinking, how, how do you know that? That's in the text. Do you remember the time that Jesus sat down at the well? I mean, I'm reading from the ESV, and the ESV says it was the sixth hour and what they're doing is that they're telling us how the Jewish clock operated, yeah? Our clock starts at midnight, doesn't it, and kind of goes full circle. Yeah, the Jewish clock didn't. Hour one was at 6 a.m. when the sun came up, which, by the way, I think makes total logical sense. The sun comes up, the day starts, all right? So for the Jews, hour one is 6 a.m. So if we count six hours on, we get to noon. And some of your Bible translations will say that. It was noontime. Right? That's the hottest time of the day in Israel. That's when the temperature is at the absolute highest. That's not at all when you go out and do your chores outside, like going to a well to do a strenuous activity of drawing water. When we first moved to the United States, we lived in Dallas for six years. And uh, the first summer that we were there, for 42 consecutive days and nights, it never dropped below 100 degrees, even at night. I learned that summer very quickly not to go out and do yard work at noon in the middle of the day. Yeah, not to go and wash my car. I mean, th th there's an expression that says only mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the noonday sun. And, and I found out that to be true. And yet here we've got a woman who's going out at the hottest part of the day. So that puts us, that puts us on notice. There's something not right. And then we realize she's by herself. And again, in verse 7, I read out to you, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. It's the singular. It's very deliberately the singular. So this woman, this lady's not coming out in a group, which, by the way, would always happen. And there are countless instances in Scripture where groups of women, or sometimes shepherds, they went out to a well together in a group, and usually first thing in the morning. It's highly unusual that someone goes out in the hottest part of the day and by themselves. There's something not right. And then we're told specifically what's not right. 
verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. So here we've got a woman who has been married and divorced and married and divorced and married and divorced and married and divorced and married and divorced. Five times she has been divorced. And she's now in a relationship where the man either won't or can't marry her. We don't know exactly what happened. We're not told, and I think we're told that for, we're not told for a reason. Some people conjecture and they say maybe she was a prostitute and husband after husband realized this and divorced her. Some will say maybe she was infertile, couldn't have children, and so men married her but then discarded her. Or whatever the reason, you've got someone here with a history. You've got someone here who's probably carrying a lot of pain and a lot of brokenness. You've got someone here who has been excluded from her own people has no choice but to go out by herself at the hottest part of the day so as to avoid everyone. This is someone who the rest of culture would have rejected. And that's where Jesus went. That's the kind of person that he went and spoke to. Because, and here's our third point, Jesus had a message that nobody else had. Jesus had a message that nobody else had. So he went to the places that no one else would to speak to the people that everyone had rejected because... He had a message that nobody else had. I'll keep reading. John chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Just file that away. I'm going to come back to that expression, living water. Now the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, it always helps me to picture these kinds of conversations. So I put on my Steven Spielberg hat, and I try and imagine the scene, and you know, you've got a, a hot summer's day in Israel. It, it's arid, it's dusty. There's probably like desert-like sand or gravel or, or you know, that around. You've got a well. Jesus is sitting at the well, and this Samaritan woman comes out. And what he's saying is, hey, I'd like a drink. And she kind of stops, and she looks at him. She said, why are you asking me for a drink? You don't know who I am? You don't know why I'm coming out at this time? And Jesus said, you know what? If you had asked me, I would have given you something far greater than, than what's in here. He essentially said, you're going to have to come back and, and draw more of this water. It'll satisfy you for a short time. You'll take a swig of it. It'll feel good going down. It'll satisfy your stomach. But then you're going to have to come back tomorrow. And you're going to have to, to, to dunk whatever it is, your, your bucket or whatever, in here again. You're going to have to pull up more water. And you'll have to do that over and over and over again. He said, but, but I'm able to offer you something far greater than this. What you really need is eternal satisfying. And this phrase, living water, it's constantly throughout the Gospel of John to refer to life through Christ, everlasting life. Jesus is saying, I'll give you something that's like a spring, 
A spring, by the way, is the closest to the source of the water. Jesus is saying, I I can give you something that will take you close to the source of life. Living water. It'll satisfy that deep yearning that you need, that your body is craving for, in the way that your body craves for water every single day. I came to give you everlasting life. So how do we know if we're ministering like Jesus? We go to the places that no one else is willing to go. We speak to the people there that everyone else has rejected. Because our message, our message has not changed. It's the same, it was the same then, it's the same today. Faith through Jesus Christ, reconciliation to God, life eternal. So we need to deal with this as we start to wrap up. You know, what difference does it make? I'm not interested in just, you know, teaching for academic sake, for building ourselves up in knowledge. No, no, we need to apply this. What difference is this going to make when we leave here today? And I want to speak to, briefly, four groups of you here. And by the way, spoiler warning, you're all going to fall into one of these four groups. The first group, your response is to know God. This morning, you need to know God. You've come to the gathering, you've come to this worship service, maybe you were invited, maybe someone dragged you here, maybe you were promised a free gift, which you'll get, by the way, if you, uh, you go to the next steps table when you leave, but, but you're here and you actually don't have this relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Right? You're here this morning to hear this, if this is the only thing you hear from me. When God originally made the world, mankind knew God, they were in relationship with him. But because of the first rebellion, that we call it sin, the first sin, man's relationship with God was just shattered. And now it is impossible for man to know God, except through faith in Jesus Christ. Every person, we're told, biblically, is going to be judged for the things they have done, for their their history, their activity, except those who know God through faith in Jesus. For those who have received that gift of eternal life, Jesus took that punishment. That's what the cross was. And so this morning, you're being called to embrace faith in Christ. But now the second group of you, you, uh, you know God, but uh, like this woman, you're struggling to find freedom. You need to find freedom here this morning. You need to stop thinking that your past has disqualified you from your future. You need to stop thinking that God is mad with you, that God is frustrated and angry with you, or that you somehow need to prove that you're better than decisions and mistakes that have been made. Okay, none of that's from God. If you have faith in Christ, if you know God, God sees you, God loves you, God approves of you, there's nothing that you need to do now other than lay down that guilt and that shame. If Jesus was here and giving us a modern illustration we could match today, like he gave the well illustration to the woman, he'd say something like this. Hey, when you leave here, you're going to get in a car, aren't you? You drove here, presumably. Okay, when you get in your car, you can't drive when you're focused on what's behind you in the rearview mirror. Stop looking at life through a rearview mirror. Look through the windshield. Look where you're going. Jesus would say, I've covered all of that. I've dealt with it. It is finished. So some of you need to know God. Some of you need to uh, find freedom. Some of you, you know God, you've found or you're finding freedom, and you need to discover your purpose. You need to take just one more step. It's actually what this woman did. 
Had I, you know, if we had the time this morning to read through the whole thing, um, in verse 28 of John 4, we're told the woman left her water jar. She just put down, she totally forgot what she was doing. She put the water jar down, she went into town, she said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. She doesn't have all the, the answers to her questions. In fact, she's saying, you know, could this man be the Christ? She says to them, could this be the Messiah? She took the next step. I need to do something with this now. And for some of you, you need to do that this morning. You need to discover your purpose, why you know God, why you found freedom. And here's what you do. As you leave here this morning, take 10 steps across the hallway. There's a desk. It says, next steps. And go and talk to someone there. Ask, how, how can I plug into the church? How do I get to know more about the ministry of the gathering? And they'll ask you to, to maybe fill out a connect card, or if you go home, you can pull up gatherashville.org on your smartphone and click the top left-hand corner. You get a little pull-down menu, hit connect, next steps, and take that next step. You're not being called to go to seminary or anything like that, just to take the next step. And then finally, there are those of you here, you, you know God, you've found or are finding freedom, you've discovered or are discovering your purpose, you need to be making a difference. You need to be making a difference. You need to be like this woman. Do you know one of the last things we're told about this woman is in verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in, in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. All she did was she went and told people what Jesus had done for her. And that's what you need to do. You need to go to the place, perhaps, that no one else will. And maybe that place is 20 yards outside the front door of the gathering, holding a sign saying, welcome to the gathering. Maybe the people are our students or our children ministry or any of the number outreach activities we're involved in in Asheville. But you have a purpose, and so you need to make a difference. So I'm going to pray now, and I'm going to pray especially for those of you who are in that first group who need to know God. Bow your heads with me. Father, there, there's someone, there are people here this morning and they've come to hear the message that you love them. And so I pray for them right now that they would say, God, forgive me. Help me to take a step forward. I don't have the answers, but I believe that Jesus Christ came to deal with my mistakes and to forgive my sin, I believe. I believe. The Gathering Church Podcast is produced by the Gathering Church Creative Team. Want to get involved? Fill out a Connect card online at gatherashville.org, find us on Facebook at The Gathering Church, or on Instagram at Gather Asheville.